The Bible says iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. And we sharpen each other when we get together on Sunday mornings, for sure, right? You feel a little sharper today? Anybody feel sharpened by the people? You come in the doors, you see Terry or Randy, and you come in the foyer, see other people, and you come in. Does that sharpen y'all? Two people, it sharpens. The rest of you just kind of dull, just like normal, okay? I'm just going to assume it does. But this also applies to people who are no longer present. This, this can apply to people who are long gone, but their example is left, and you can still be sharpened by it. And today, what I'm hoping is that you feel sharpened by this New Testament character named Timothy. He, uh, he, not a whole lot is said about him necessarily, although we have a couple of books written to him, letters written to him, and he appears in the book of Acts. We're going to talk a little bit about him, and then I'm going to share what I think is the most enduring lesson you can learn from this Bible character that we just don't spend a lot of time on. He was born uh, to a Jewish woman and a Greek man. Strange combination. He was raised in Lystra, a little town that we hear about in Acts chapter 18, 19, or actually 13, 14 in there, Paul's first missionary journey. He meets him uh, that way. But the, the weird thing about this is for a Jewish woman to marry a Greek man is kind of a no-no. And then for the son that you have as a Jewish woman not to be circumcised is another no-no. And so I think probably his mother was a little rebellious at a certain period of time in her life, and then she came back to the truth and raised her kid the best she could from that point on. So he, he had some imperfect parentage here, right? And, and you got that going on. Uh, Paul comes through town with a man named Barnabas, comes into Lystra, and he starts preaching in the common ground of the city, maybe a courtyard or something, and he preaches. He's on his first missionary journey, is what we call it. And as he's preaching, there's this one guy everybody knows who is fixed on Paul. He looked intently at Paul, and Paul started looking intently at him. It was the guy in town who was raised all his life. He was born a crippled man, couldn't use his legs. And so he would sit around and he would kind of have the can out for money. And everybody was used to seeing him. He was like the regular background feature, kind of like you just come out of Walmart every week, right? You see those folks out there doing that kind of stuff. This is kind of what this person was doing. And everybody knew him. He was raised there. As Paul is preaching, he's so enamored with this guy who is intently looking at Paul and he's taking in his every word. And finally, Paul said, Paul figured out, this guy's crippled, and he says to the guy, stand up and walk where you are. And the guy stood up and started walking, and everybody, everybody knew him because they'd seen him all their lives and all his life, and it was amazing. And they declare Paul and Barnabas are gods, and they name them, and the, the priests of Zeus come down, and they're going to start offering sacrifices to, to Paul and Barnabas, and they're like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. We're going to keep preaching. We are not gods. We are just representing God, and there's one God. One God over all. But while they're trying to preach to this mob of people who really aren't listening now, some Jews kind of come in the crowd that don't like Paul and Barnabas, and they are able to turn that crowd around, and suddenly they're against Paul and Barnabas, and they stone Paul. They drag him outside the city, and they leave him for dead, and they go back into their lives. The believers are devastated, wondering, what do you do about this? And Paul comes too. 
He comes to and he hobbles his way back into Lystra and he preaches again. And in that crowd of people, I'm guessing, I'm speculating, in that crowd of people is this young boy named Timothy. Mesmerized by what Paul has said. Even more mesmerized by what Paul experienced. What is it about a man who will take a stoning like that come right back into town and start preaching again the very thing that got him stoned. You better believe that's stuck in Timothy's head. What kind of belief is that? What kind of truth is that that you're willing to live like that? Well, a few years go by, Timothy gets associated with a church that's left behind after Paul and Barnabas leave, and three or four Five years later, after Paul and Barnabas went back and reported, and then they had the Jerusalem council and all that stuff, and they got in this fuss, and then Paul and Silas joined together, and they came back to the area, and they come through Lystra again, and they meet this young church, this young church that they left behind that now has elders. The elders come out to Paul and say, you won't believe this young man. Ever since you left the first time, this young guy is amazing. He leads singing on Wednesday nights. He leads a, a song on Sunday morning. He does Bible readings among us. He goes around, he shakes everybody's hand. He's just like the pride and joy of Lystra. I want to tell young people something. You want to find a place, a world that will let you impress them and will love you and lift you up? It's called the church. When you do things that lead this church and show leadership spiritually, you get noticed, and a church starts taking pride in its young people that do this. We absolutely swell with pride, and they did so much that when Paul and Silas now came back, they come out and meet Paul, and they say, you gotta meet this young guy. I don't know how old he is, late teens, early 20s now, maybe. You gotta meet this kid, and Paul did, and he was so impressed with him, he says, listen, you can keep doing stuff and leading this church, and that's important, but I tell you, I want you to travel with us. Oh, that sounds exciting. Timothy's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll travel with you. But they have this very hard conversation first. Let me tell you about this conversation. It makes me squeamish. I want to leave it to Michael and the youth classes, but I'm not going to. Paul takes Timothy aside and says, Timothy... You know already, I mean, we were, I was stoned when I got here last time, you know, I've been run out of town, and I've been, you know, I'm going to be put in prison. I just want you to know, I don't mean I was stoned last time. I mean, they threw stones at me. That's what I mean, right? So, so I've got all these adventures ahead. I just want you to know, and I want you to join me, but we're going to be going in Jewish areas. And what I really know, you, you have a controversial thing in your life. You are half Jewish, half Greek, and that's going to always be a, a controversy. That's always going to be something that people hang on to, and it's going to get in our way, and it's going to obstruct our success. So, Timothy, I want you to let me circumcise you. Most teenagers don't like that idea. Now, some of you are like... <laughs> Ladies' classes at Slicer Street, man, we, we've, uh, it, I was never in one, obviously, not a lady, but I, I heard the stories, and this one lady talked about circumcision, and, and, and y'all know what that is, and this one lady said, yes, all the Jews cut off the skin of their foreheads. 
And so they all go around with this little squad right here. No, 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 no. It's not foreheads. It's something very distinctly male. I'm not going to explain that, and I'm not going to tell you to Google it either. I'm just saying foreskin stuff was a male thing, and Timothy hadn't done it because there was a squabble between his mom and dad. But in order to make this as successful as we can, Paul says, uh, I, I want to circumcise you. And Timothy says, oh, oh, whoa, 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 just a minute. Just a minute. This is serious stuff. Now, I know it's serious because I was circumcised and I couldn't walk for a year. So I'm wondering if Timothy's going, this is going to take forever to heal, right? But no, 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 no. He says, so he says, uh, he says uh, does this, are you saying, are you saying I'm not right with God if I'm not circumcised? No. Paul says, no, no, no. You're right with God right now. You don't need to do anything else. You have got God's favor. The Holy Spirit is in you. You have accepted Christ. You've been immersed. You have nothing lacking. This is about the mission. This is about taking away unnecessary distraction. Will you do it? And Timothy thinks about it for a minute and says, Paul, if this is going to help the mission, I'll do it. That is the kind of man, young man, that Timothy was. I'm going to tell you, not everybody will do that. You say to a young person, you don't have to, but this is just going to make it easier for other people to listen to you and accept it. Will you do it? Yes, that kind of spirit. When Paul heard that, he knew he found a guy, perfect to help him with the mission. So they let him heal, the, uh, and the elders put their hands on him, and they bless him, and off he goes with Paul. And now all of a sudden, everything in the book of Acts, because some, most of the stuff, it's hard to tell where Timothy is and isn't, but we're just supposing everywhere Paul went, that's where Timothy was, because that's kind of what he did. He followed Paul, and all of a sudden, he appears in the scriptures that we read all the time. There's Timothy, right? He was there when he wrote his letters. He was there uh, for a lot of things. He wasn't there for Paul's imprisonment because they didn't imprison Timothy for some reason. And, and there would be times where Paul needed uh, someone to kind of uh, uh, to, to, to be um, a decoy so Paul could get away. That was Timothy. There would be times where he needed to encourage this church while he was over here. He sent Timothy. Timothy became this like extension of Paul. And he kills my son in the faith and my best servant. And, and even when Paul is about to die, he knows it. He says, I want Timothy with me. He loved this servant and he was the best. That's Timothy. Fascinating young person. But there was one thing about him that Paul had some struggles with, and that's what we're going to focus on. That's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible to pick on a guy and talk about how good he is and then find his one weakness. It just almost seems like I'm tearing him down, but I'm not, because by the end of his life, he solves this. And I'm going to tell you, this is our number one issue today, too. This is the number one problem for the American church uh, and Christian. It is. We have a tendency to be a little too timid when it comes to the truth. We get a little tentative. Maybe we're afraid to stand out. Maybe we're afraid to say the truth in a world that's got so much controversy in it. But guys, that's where Timothy was. When he was with Paul, and Paul was the main spokesman, Timothy shined. But when Paul left him behind on his own, he really struggled because really on the deep, on the inside, he was kind of a timid kid. Number one, he was intimidated sometimes because of his age. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. 
Just because you're young doesn't mean that you should allow yourself to be intimidated by those who are older. This is a weird thing today because in our culture, youth is put up here and older age is put down here. The rest of the world, it's the opposite. Where Timothy was, because he didn't have as much mileage on him, people could sometimes dismiss him. And Paul says, don't let people do that to you. When he's writing to the Corinthian church, he says, when Timothy comes, talking to the Corinthians, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease. He's doing the work of the Lord just as I am. There was this anxiety about him and how he would be received, maybe because of his age or maybe because something about his demeanor. Timothy had this timidity about him. Secondly, he was sickly at times. He apparently got ulcers, got anxiety, panic attacks, who knows? There was something strange about Timothy. I don't know whether the sickness caused his timidity to be a little tentative or whether being timid made him sick. You know that anxiety can actually affect you physically? We know this, right? This is something we know in our culture. They probably wouldn't have known it back then, but the way you feel and the way you think and the anxieties that you have can actually have a physical demonstration in you, and it comes out in all sorts of things. And so Paul says to Timothy, I want you to drink a little wine because of your frequent illnesses. Don't drink just water. Drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. I think you need to drink something a little stronger. Maybe, it does, maybe the water wasn't good. Maybe wine did something to calm him. I don't know. But Paul says, you know, you, you have a tendency to be a little sickly. That made him timid. But there's a third reason I think that Timothy was a little bit timid. 2 Timothy chapter 1 that was read a moment ago. He knows how he was raised. He knows the truth from his parents his mom and his grandmother. For this, for this reason, Paul tells in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, I remind you to fan into, the flame, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, I have given you a miraculous gift to be used in the service of the church, and I want you to use it. Here's the thing. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean that you will use it. And in fact... I know for a fact in the church, every one of us has gifts to be used to build up the church, and many of us do not use them. Timothy had one, and Paul says, I want you to fan it into flame. The only reason Paul would have to tell him that is that Timothy has a tendency to be shy and not use his gift that God gave him. And I says, I don't want you to do that. I, don't, I want you to fan it into flame. God doesn't give you his gifts to, to hide them under a bushel, right? God gives you the gifts to use with power and love and self-discipline. Verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord of me as a prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. You know what he's saying? Timothy, you have a tendency to back down. You have a tendency to be ashamed of the truth and not stand for it. You have a tendency to say, well, if I do this, I might suffer for it, and I'm just going to shy away. I'll let, I'll let Paul suffer, but I'll stay over here in the shadows. And Paul says, I want you to come out of the shadows. I want you to represent the truth. And sometimes to do that, you've got to stand up. Don't be ashamed of me as being in prison for the truth. Don't be ashamed of the suffering you might have to endure. Timothy was one who 
didn't want to hurt. Maybe he had separation anxieties because at the beginning he said, I recall the tears you cried when we left. It's like Timothy said, don't leave me here alone. There's this tendency sometimes in us because we're afraid of what might happen if we really stand on the truth, we just kind of back down. That was Timothy. Timothy struggled with this timidity. Now, you want to, uh, uh, here's the thing for us. What does this have to do with us? Why does this matter to us about Timothy? And it's this. We have the same tendency too, and here's why. One reason is being faithful to Scripture in a world that doesn't appreciate it can be intimidating. Go to college and uphold your Christian values on the college campus. Tell me how popular that's going to be. Go to school and really live your mouth speech ethic and your modest dress. You actually be a Christian on your school campus and tell me how popular that's going to be. You see, we are all used to, most of us in here, I'm looking at most of you have white faces, white skin, you're middle class, we're at Valley View, we're in a rich part of town, we have a church that has lots of money, we are white middle class people who've been a majority of this country and our entire lives, we've never experienced minority status, but if you're a real Christian, you will. That's a mindset that's hard for us to wrap our heads around. You, if you live a true Christian life, will be a minority in the world. Can you embrace that? Is that something you can accept? Thrown out of mainstream? Can we even do that, church? For real. Not just by appearances. For real. I can imagine this. This is difficult, but all these verses in 2 Timothy... 1 Timothy, all these verses where Paul says, I urge you that you charge people not to teach false doctrine anymore. I want you to stand up and tell them to stop it. Why does he have to tell them that? Because Timothy doesn't want to do it. If I do this, I'll drive people out. If I do this, I'll be very unpopular. If I do this, I'll have controversy. I'll have people confronting me, and I don't want to do that. And so I'm kind of, I only preach the stuff we all agree about. I want to go out and preach on the love and on the grace. I want to preach on all this stuff that is so warm and fulfilling. I don't want to preach about, hey, that stuff you're talking about right now and the way that you're talking about it is wrong. It's, it's against Scripture. Man, that's controversial. I don't want to do that. Next screen. The Spirit expressly says that as time goes on, People will not accept the true faith of Scripture. They don't like it. They don't want it. It's not easy. It's not palatable to their taste. They don't want it. So, <laughs> you got to preach it all the more, Timothy. Oh, man. Next screen. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus and the opposite is true. If you refuse to teach the scriptures as they are, you're not being a servant of God. I would love every Sunday to preach the warm fuzzies. I like it just as much as walking out the door. Oh, that was so upbuilding. 
I don't like talking about gender issues that are raging in the world and what the truth has to say about it. I hate that topic. I hate a lot of topics that the scripture has. But if we are the church of Christ, we will preach them just as God said them. We will preach them and stand on it and refuse to budge and guard it with our lives or we are not the church. We're just not. Timothy, you can't do the warm fuzzies all the time. You've got to do the confrontational. You've got to be prophetic. Next screen. Command these things. When, when, when he says the word command, listen, you, you don't like, we, I've been told don't say the words ought, ought. You ought to do this. It's hard to hear that. You will go out saying, you're telling me what to do. Listen, if what I'm saying is found in Scripture, you ought to do it. You ought. And I can say ought. I can't say ought about my opinion. I don't think I can. I can tell you this is opinion, here's what I think. But I can't, I can't say you ought, and it's my. But if it is these things that Paul's written about in 1 Timothy, I can command those things. That doesn't need to be tentative preaching. That doesn't need to be this soft and fuzzy approach. Paul says, you, you've got people who are spreading false things and speculations and they're using this fancy stuff to undermine scripture and they're right there in the pews of your church. When you get up and stand in front of them, Paul says to Timothy, you command and teach them. Don't you be soft. Don't you be tentative. Next screen. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches anything different, it's not the truth. Next screen. Fight the good fight. This thing that we're living is not an alternative lifestyle. It is a fight. To live the Christian life is a fight against yourself. It's against culture. It's against all sorts of things. Take hold of the eternal life when you were called. That, that fight, you know, make the good confession. Jesus is Lord. Make it in front of everybody. Keep this commandment unstained, verse 14. On and on he goes through this letter, and it's making me, it's very clear that Timothy is timid. And Paul is saying, don't you back down. You've got to stand firm on these things. Be loving, be gentle, but be firm at the same time. Because we live in a world that doesn't like it. Second reason, I think, that we might be timid today is we don't want to have to suffer for it. Timothy never had to suffer, never was in prison, never was beat. They put all that on Paul. Timothy got out of it on the side. I'm sure he was terrified. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he never had to personally pay for it. And I often wonder, I often wonder if we were in a third world country where we could suffer for our faith, how many would we have here this morning? I mean, we have people missing because they might get a virus. What about if you might have a machine gun when it gets real? How many we have then? Now, see, that's mere speculation. And I would like to say, well, I'd go anyway. Really, I don't know. I can say what I want, but I ain't there, right? And I, can't, I can put myself back in Paul's place. Would I be able to walk back into that city after they just threw a bunch of rocks at me? I don't really know. I don't know. But you know what? Here's the thing. Timothy knew. 
That blood that he smelled and saw and those scrapes and scars that he could see very clearly and going into those skanky prisons to visit Paul and bring him food was a real reality for Timothy. And he had to face it every day. Am I willing to personally suffer for this or not? I wonder the time is coming, y'all, when you'll find out. But it's awful easy to be timid when, when the, the world is against it, right? The world doesn't appreciate it, and then suddenly they start applying pressure to us. It's hard enough to go against your peers in a regular day at school. What happens if they mock you and make fun of you? Then all of a sudden it becomes even harder, and that kind of suffering's real. And what Paul tells to Timothy is, and he says this several times, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You're not going to get out of this, Timothy, without suffering. You signed on for this deal. I've shown it to you, right? Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed to back down because you're afraid you might get hurt. And church, I'm going to say this to you. Quit backing down because you might lose face or might lose respect of your peers. It's hard to do, isn't it? One last reason I think that we might be timid is that We have our own struggles with obeying the truth. I, I have some parts of it I don't like. Some of the commands that were given in Scripture are ones that go against my tendencies. Paul was talking to Timothy and he said, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee these things. And then the next screen, flee the evil desires of youth, right? Flee them. Pursue faith, love, and peace. And I think the reason he's saying that is Timothy had some temptations. He had some temptations. And he also had nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversy. I think, I, think, I think Timothy was drawn to these distracting secondary things that have nothing to do with anything. He was drawn to reading these books that have nothing to do with the spiritual life. And he starts getting distracted from the truth. Next screen. Remember that no soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Don't get distracted, Timothy. By, don't let your mind draw to things that just aren't important at all. It doesn't make any difference. Compete according to the rules. He's saying to them. And then, and then another time he says, uh, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind toward everyone, patiently enduring evil. Right? Correcting his opponents with gentleness. Is it, is it possible that Timothy got short with people and started losing his patience with people? I can't imagine. Can you? I just can't imagine losing patience with my neighbor who I think is just totally insane. Can you? Anybody in here struggle with being kind when somebody is quarrelsome and you just want to let them have a piece of your mind? Don't answer that. I read Facebook. I know the answer is yes. Some of the stuff God tells me I don't like because I'd rather do something else. And if I'm a preacher who feels that way, I'm sure every member does too. I can relate to, Paul, uh, to Timothy's timidity. I can relate to it. Can you? Just sometimes it's just easier to hide somewhere or be silent. And there's only one cure for this, according to Paul in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. The one cure is 
Do not lose confidence in Scripture. Don't let yourself talk yourself into believing that it's just mere suggestion or that it's just one alternative. We need to value this. Paul says, tap into what you learned as a kid. But listen, here's the thing we often do with kids. We want our kids to have Scripture, but whether we do or not doesn't make much difference. It's like the Scripture is for kids. The Scripture is for every follower of God if he wants to be genuine and true and real. It's for your entire life. And when you're 70, you still need to be in Bible class. You still need to be submitting and learning every single day. Every day. Paul was willing to die for the sake of providing us Scripture. How serious is that? These words in this book are words of God, true everywhere, all the time, for all of time. It is what we live our lives by. And Paul says to Timothy, I want you to study it. I want you to rightly divide it. I want you to defend it. I want you to uphold it. I want you to live it out. I want you to guard it with every fiber of your being. I want you to stand up in the word in the service, and I want you to say, if it's not the word, we don't believe it. It's not what guides us. I want you to be bold. I want you to be confident. These are God's words. Stand on them. Stand on them with truth. Don't back down. Don't get timid. And by all means, don't be ashamed of it. And when you need to warn, it better be Scripture. And when you need to rebuke, it, never, it better be Scripture. And if you're teaching Bible class teachers, it better be the Word. I love those little books, but I need the book. I need it taught. That's what makes this church grow. That's what gives the lifeblood and spirit of this church. We are Bible study people. And there's one thing that concerns me more than anything else about our future. And young people, listen to this very carefully because I, 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 if there's only one thing we ever teach at this church, it better be this. Right now I'm with a group of preachers. We meet online every couple weeks reading all the books that the people who now say, most of them have changed from what they thought before, now say the homosexual lifestyle is okay with Scripture. They're looking at all the verses that seem to say you shouldn't, and they find a creative way to interpret them that says, no, nah, it's okay if. It's an amazing change. Go on YouTube and you'll see a bunch of videos they make to justify this, and I'm baffled. And what we all concluded from this is that we don't need to be teaching about homosexuality. We need to be teaching... The respect for the Word of God as our source of everything we believe and live. That has to be the source of everything. If, if you go to that and you just obey that and quit listening to all this other stuff, let it be. We need to nurture and cultivate in our people a profound respect for the authority of Scripture. And if it teaches something, that's what we believe. And if it doesn't, we won't hold it. The standard for our belief and our practice is not your experience. It is not how you feel about something. It's not even the informed opinions of yourself or other people. It's not what works. It's not what research shows. 
It is not. It is not what polls say. It is not what a majority of Americans believe. It's not what is legal. It's not what is determined by a vote. How burdensome is it to keep up with what the latest fads are and have to watch the news and know, what do I believe today? And what does everybody believe today? You watch the news, you have no idea. Take a stand on what God says and let that be it. Let it be it. Things will fluctuate. And you'll wonder, am I standing right on this or not? Is this going to be true 100 years from now when my grandkids, can I teach them and know that it's true? Regardless of what's going on in our culture, is there something that's true for all of time? The answer is yes. It's found in scriptures. Only then can you be confident and bold. Only then. That's where your confidence comes from. Did Timothy ever learn it? I believe he did. I think he did. And I think, I think we can learn it if, we will, if we'll navigate this right and we'll teach this right and, and demonstrate it. Our sermons need to come from Scripture. That's need, not, not just provide a Scripture and then go off and say what I want. It has to be flowing out of it. That's what has to happen. Our Bible classes need to flow out of this and not just be illustrative stuff. It needs to flow out of this. When the Hebrew writer, I believe Hebrews was a sermon before it was ever a letter. When he was wrapping up the letter, this is what he said. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Timothy, faced with pressure, finally, did not back down. He wasn't timid in the face of the threat. He didn't forsake the consequences for standing on the truth. He just said, I'm going to do what I know is right and let what happens happen. And he ended up in jail, then was released. Timothy did not back down. Neither should we. We're up on a hill, the church on the hill. The hill should not be a mound of dirt that makes us higher than everybody else. The hill should be the absolute confidence in the Word of God as our source of authority. And out of that flows everything we are and everything we do. It comes back to that Word that God gave us. Straight from His mouth, God breathed. When somebody wants to know what like we always answer at the end of a sermon, what do I need to do to be right with God? Do I need to be baptized? Well, what does the Word say? Don't take a word from a Church of Christ preacher as he's wrapping up a sermon. What does the Word say? Do I need to repent? What does the Word say? You search that Word and it says, repent of your sins, confess the name of Jesus, be immersed in the waters of baptism, rise to walk a new life. And if ever a time you get tangled up in the world's sin again, and you need the prayers of the church, you just come front, just, come, just confess your sins one to another, and you'll be healed. And this morning, all that's available to you if you need it as we stand and as we sing.